Today's episode is sponsored by the RevOps experts at Fullcast. With me is their head of customer success, Tyler Simons. Hey, Tyler. Revenue efficiency, sales productivity are everything today. How does Fullcast's go-to-market planning platform help RevOps teams achieve these types of goals? Well, Fullcast lets you build better territories so that the right resources are always focused on the right opportunities. When reps are motivated and zeroed in on their targets, they'll be more successful and bring in more revenue. That sounds great. I do a lot of that planning in spreadsheets today and I'm pretty happy with my spreadsheets. How is Fullcast any better than that? You must get rid of the spreadsheets because <laughs> spreadsheets create lag and errors. With Fullcast, planning and updating happen automatically all in one place. Best of all, it automates all common headache-inducing planning activities like territory rebalancing, account hierarchies, routing, and more. So when you're faced with those go-to-market plan changes, which, you know what, they happen all the time, Fullcast has your back. All right, you got me convinced. Where do I learn more about Fullcast? Our website, fullcast.io. The things with ops teams in general is there's never enough resources that we have. The team is never big enough, but that's on purpose, right? If you have enough people to do everything that you're asked for, your team's too big. Hey everyone, welcome to Operations, the show where we look under the hood of companies in hypergrowth. My name is Sean Lane. I've always marveled at operators who are tasked with the breadth of challenges and responsibilities that come with the role and who are able to thrive at businesses of a size and scale that I've never seen. It's so impressive to me and also a little bit of a mystery. How do they do it? How do they keep all the details of a larger business in their head? To find out, I sat down with Noah Marks, a serial operations executive with a resume that includes companies like Udemy, WalkMe, Okta, and Salesforce. Noah has made a career of helping companies make the jump from growth mode to scale mode. When we chatted, Noah was wrapping up a nearly four-year stint as vice president of go-to-market strategy and operations at Udemy. So most of the details you'll hear in this episode pertain to that business, which as of December 2023, had $466 million in ARR. Today, Noah is now the SVP and head of commercial strategy and operations at Diligent, which is a leading governance, risk, and compliance SaaS company with over 25,000 customers around the globe. In our conversation, we talk about the bullwhip effect of small directional tweaks in a company. We cover the stepping stones of scalability and why the underlying trait of operators is creativity. To start, though, I asked Noah to take us inside a $466 million company, what his team is responsible for, and how he set them up to thrive at that level of scale. The organization is about $450 million plus in ARR. And the organization, a couple of years ago, we started, uh, it was probably about three years ago, we really started to focus on the scalability of the business and how to make sure that we could keep all of the great things happening when the numbers get really, really big. And so really what the role was scoped for continues to evolve, but it's, it's basically getting the organization from a growth mode into a nice repeatable scale mode. And there's a couple of different areas of the charter that I feel are primary to this role. 
it kind of falls into three buckets. And the first bucket is on the execution and that's the day-to-day. And these are the things that based on the strategy of the business, what does the business need to do to execute on that strategy to deliver it? It's the operational excellence piece. And there's some inherent necessities around what that role becomes and where it reports to and who do you align to. But my role I aligned into the, the president and that's primarily where I've been focused over the last couple of roles, which is whatever the leaders that own the strategy, ultimately the business, that's where ops needs to sit because its ops role is to provide guidance back to those leaders as to what's going well, what's not going well, what do we need to drive? And then what do we want to collectively build out? And then how do we get there? And that's one of the biggest challenges is that where you want to get to effectively what's possible What's the long-term goal? These are the things that ops needs to be pushing on. And so the charter really comes in three. One is that that day-to-day, making sure the business is running. The second piece is the alignment aspect, which is making sure that I have a slide I've used for years, which is a bunch of geese flying in formation. I cannot overstate the importance of that and do not understate the value of the alignment piece because simply it's if you can get everyone flying in direction where you know that like our North Star is somewhere this way, but it's not that way. We don't know exactly over here, but we know it's this direction. That is one of the biggest friction points that slow companies down, that gets the sand in the gears, that just makes it hard to continue to grow. But if everyone's aligned on directionally where we're going and prioritizing what it's going to take to get there, then it really doesn't matter. Certainly you need economic viability. You need product that's competitive with value propositions, but ideally all things being equal, you need that ability to align the organization really succinctly, otherwise to avoid all the drag and other things that happen. The third tenet of ops is about scaling. And we can talk about it more later, but it's there's basically five tiers of this. And the fundamental tier is around the integrity of the business. So data integrity, system integrity, making sure that you at least know where you are before you talk about where you're going to get to. So many times in, in so many of the conversations I have with my peers and you all, it's around, we're trying to make decisions before we really have any idea what the data is saying. Not to say that you're always going to have enough data to have a very, very you know, 100% clarity on that decision, but you need to have enough to know where you are and then, and then where to base yourself, right? It's hard to know where you're going if you don't know where you are. So there's that integrity layer. Once you get that built, then just talk about, okay, where are we efficient, non-efficient? Based on that, where do we start building out the processes, the repeatability aspect? And then if you're repeatable, you can get to predictability. And that's one of that's for the most organizations, that's the nirvana, which is we can know where we're going to be at some future point in time. The true nirvana is actually one step above that, which is this productivity layer. And for a lot of organizations that try to beat and raise and beat and raise, that's where this comes down to, which is this is the one that's the most meaningful for the business, the most meaningful for the for your teammates, for the other organiz- people in the organization, which is how does everybody get better? How does everyone produce more? But you can only do that until you get those other elements. And then you start talking about next quarter and next year and three years down the road, and you're building an engine that gets there. That's fundamentally what I feel like is my main concern of the business is that really, you know, if you get those first two down, the, the day-to-day execution, the directional alignment to really focus on that scaling to productivity. And that's how you make a truly iconic long-term success story. 
Okay, take a breath. If you're like me, you were furiously taking notes about the way that Noah breaks down both his team and the evolution of how he views his contributions into the business. The three primary progression points that he mentions are one, day-to-day execution, two, alignment, and three, scalability. And then he's got this maturity that happens inside of the scalability portion. You start with data and system integrity, you graduate to efficiency, add process, then predictability, and ultimately the nirvana, as Noah calls it, productivity. Now, you might be thinking, well, Noah's describing this nirvana from his perch at this $466 million company. But I'd argue that the scope of what he's describing is incredibly hard at a $10 million company or a $50 million company. So I struggle to even wrap my head around the breadth of his charter at a company of Udemy's size. Put simply, how does Noah and his team take on that level of responsibility in what I'm sure is not a simple business? It's something that gets me up early in the morning every single day because I find it really exciting. Like Honestly, it is what drives my passion and this is, is the building producing something great is what gets me going. And I think the idea behind this is, and this kind of comes to like the, the tenet of that role is we're just trying to do whatever is ultimately going to create the best value for the business. And so where my time needs to be focused, certainly I need, you asked me about the team, there's currently eight teams within ops today in our ops world, which is the functional ops teams of like, you know, marketing ops and sales and CS and partner ops. It's also like kind of tech stack and processes, deal desk, enablement, analytics, all of these elements speak to this whole world around what are we building out across all of these key stakeholders in the business? And then depending on what's happening, it's that ability for then particularly myself and other folks on my team to dig into the areas that are potentially the most important blockers or challenges or the biggest friction spots, or conversely, the biggest areas of opportunity. We just need more resourcing and firepower to, to develop it, to think about what's going to make us the most successful. So. It's daunting, but it's this like algorithmic problem solving that never ends because no matter what size of organization, if you're $10 million, you're just trying to get viable to 20 million, right? You're not thinking about scale at 100 and beyond. And depending on every layer and size of the organization, there is a different focus, but it all centers around how do we grow sustainably and how do we get there and how do we forecast that we're going to get there most importantly? So it's not a surprise. And so it is daunting, but it's the greatest challenge that frees up our team, particularly if you're aligned under the key strategy leader, which would be the president or the CEO, to think about all those different elements. One of the areas that has been really exciting is this idea around product ops. Oftentimes, go-to-market strategy and ops teams and rev ops and all these other organizations are really focused around sales, marketing, customer success. But one of the biggest attributes of your company and probably a really big source of headcount and budget is the product team. And how do you make sure the product team is sitting side by side with the rest of the go-to-market engine? Because it can't really sit by itself, but traditionally it often does. CROs don't own product, right? Necessarily even owning marketing. But how do you get all those different parts of the business to be really closely aligned? When product managers are talking to customers all the time and really in sync with the sales and marketing and CS, that's great success. And so like digging in there or when eventually we turn the corner and growth becomes more important, the recruiting aspect, how do you make sure like you build out your operational model? How do you make sure that you actually have the capacity to get to that model 
because it requires hiring people and you got to work backwards into that. So all of those elements are different pieces of the puzzle and it could come from anywhere. And so that ability to not be structured into like, let's say reporting into a sales leader or a marketing leader or somebody like that, it frees you up to be more, okay, what are the biggest challenges facing maybe the marketing teams or the sales teams today? And it might not sit within those teams. And so that's what's really interesting is that ability to come back and really focus on the most important things for the business. And they could certainly be thematic. They can certainly be things that are, this is the most important thing for the next six months, the next three months. But overall, I have people on my team that are continuing to run the cadence of each of those businesses, but we're not doing it in silos. We got to do it eyes wide open, looking across all the different touch points within the organization to understand the waterfall effect of every decision and the impact that it makes across the business. So it's very daunting. You have to love the uncertain aspect, the uncertainty aspect of of the role to really thrive in this sort of thing. And then to have that passion to want to dig in the details, because some of the things aren't that much fun, but you know they're important and you know that those are the things that have got to be tackled. And so that's that structure, that centralized alignment allows different people, different task force to be able to jump in and tackle some of these challenges. And most of them at some point become all cross-functional. Very rarely do you see challenges or projects that just sit isolated distinctly within a certain part of the organization. Daunting uncertainty, some things that aren't that fun. Not exactly what you might expect to hear as an advertisement for a role, but honestly, Noah's description probably resonates with many of the operators listening to this, myself included. Like him, we thrive in those types of environments, and that's what gets us out of bed in the morning. I'm not sure how I could work in anything different. I also want to make sure we don't skip over all of the foundational work that it took for Noah and his team to get to the point that they did. To reach the scaling evolution he described, a lot goes into that. And according to him, a key ingredient in that evolution is creativity. You know, I hate the adage, but everyone's like, oh, you're changing the tire while you're racing around the track or whatever it is, or fixing the airplane wing while you're flying, like all of those things. But the reality is that that's the fact. And you're able to start with some, and it doesn't matter whatever organization you're in, you're going to have certain parts of this already built. You're going to have certain elements that are working well, and you're always going to have stuff that doesn't. You're going to have stuff that you're like, is this a prank, right? Did somebody really do this just to mess with me? Or conversely, maybe there's just data that you don't support it. Maybe the, the business has changed. And so there's certain elements. This is why I think it's the underlying character trait of ops is creativity, because you're never just following a single playbook. You certainly have to know some playbooks. You have to understand elements to look out for. But it's funny, like I'll have conversations with some of my peers or random folks that will reach out and the conversations are largely the same. Like The solutions are but the challenges are largely the same. The same conversation, if you're having an ops conversation in your company today, is happening at a hundred different other organizations at that exact same moment, because there's only so many challenges, only so many levers going from one product to multiple product, or all these things that are always out there are the challenges that you face, but the way that you want to address them or the things you want to try to tackle, oh, we want to go more international, or we want to do you know, whatever it is, you got to come and think about it in a way that's, okay, what, what do we have today to work from? And you're never going to get that complete picture. And so, yeah, it takes time to build out certainly what I feel is a level of solid foundation that I feel is acceptable. 
but certainly that level for everyone is different. And, and oftentimes you don't have the luxury of building everything that you'd want. You have to build it good enough to connect the dots and draw some conclusions and acknowledge some of the risk. I think I've mentioned it before, but there's a, an element around asking the five whys, which is a famous philosophical approach. And asking the whys in an organization about anything you can't get to the fifth why because you just there's not enough data in the world to actually give that to you. You're going to have to go get a lot of anecdotal things. So it's really about trying to figure out what are you trying to get to? So what are the goals of the business? Are you trying to go public in a couple of years? Are you trying to get to profitability in a couple of years? Like whatever it is you're doing and work backwards to then think about what are the things that are going to get us there? And what do I need to know to make sure that I'm doing the right stuff, tracking that progress is being made? And so that's an interesting piece is that everyone's focusing on a different piece of the puzzle at any given time. And ultimately, the size of company may matter, but it just depends on the situation and what the goals are of the business. I think the hardest part to be successful saying that is organizations that can't prioritize well, organizations that can't fundamentally align on a stack rank and they have too many things going on at any given time. Those are the organizations where it becomes very difficult to be successful in ops because there's not enough resources to get all that stuff done. And you do have to prioritize, but your prioritization comes on what's the most important thing for the business. And then you have to say no, and you have to willingly say no to a lot of other projects. I appreciate that Noah is making his role and the scale at which he operates more approachable for the rest of us by acknowledging the similarities of the challenges that we all face. It makes it less daunting. But at the end of the day, he still has to run these businesses. He has to run these teams at this scale. And he just told us how important prioritization is. So I want to know, how does he spend his time? It's super simple because. My alignment is with our president. And so my question to her is, what are her top three priorities? And if I think that maybe those top three, and certainly she's usually, in fact, always right on those top three, but if not, then it would be my responsibility is to say, actually, what about something else? And so there's definitely some areas where we both came together and both had a top three that were exactly aligned, which means we're thinking really well aligned. It also is, it sometimes worries me because we probably should. There should be things that maybe we, each of us doesn't necessarily know about. But the idea is to come there and understand what are those big priorities and what are those. And that becomes certainly bigger and harder at the bigger companies. At a small organization, it's super easy to get a couple of people in a room and just say, this is what we're doing. But when you got a lot of departments, a lot of pieces of the organization, there's a lot of roles that start popping up in companies that are not roles that sit primarily within one of the groups or even my group, you know, this, the idea around project management and the luxury that project management provides or, or that it is, but the value of somebody that's like, listen, it's nobody's day job of this project we're running on, but it's really important that somebody ties it all together. And so the implications are really big. The other component to this is there's a CEO that came and talked to us earlier this year of a very high flying company in the dot-com era and one of his comments that he said, you know, through years and decades of therapy is that he came to realize is this idea around when you have a, you know, the analogy was of a bullwhip and that his management team liked to continually look at things every six months out and then just make tweaks. Wait, wait, you know, wait until they had six months more of data and then make a tweak and then wait for a little bit more data to come in and then tweak it again. 
And what was just illuminating to me is when he mentioned that comment, he said, we just tweak the handle a little bit. But what happens with a bullwhip when you just tweak it a little bit? It extends and reverberates all the way to the very end. And what, what he said is he didn't realize at the time was not having that upfront prioritization over the course of the next year to three-year model and driving big bets through the year, but constantly tweaking. Everybody at the end of that whip couldn't hang on. Like they were holding on for dear life and it was causing massive havoc within the business and chaos. And that's ultimately, I think, one of the bigger challenges is how do we set that next thematic 12 to 18 months focus? And these are the three things. Like, I don't even think you can get beyond five, but what are those big three big bets that everyone's got to make sure happen, that everyone's going to make sure of resources that get funded and drive? And your time gets spent a lot doing that. I would say having the pillars of my team in place, I would say most of my time and I think my team might agree, is spent not with my team, but with other teams within the business, trying to understand what they're focused on and how do we align those groups together? Because if those teams aren't running well, we, we mentioned product ops, right? If product isn't in lockstep with either customer success and our customers or the roadmap with our sales reps, like that causes a tremendous amount of chaos and lost opportunity. So how do we try to bridge that together and make it really succinct? Or, you know, let's not release a product and change our systems on the last day of a quarter, right? Problematic, potentially. There's a lot of risk there. Now, maybe we accept that risk, but let's map this stuff out so that we're all trying to do stuff that's aligned. Because ultimately, the things with ops teams in general is there's never enough resources that we have. The team is never big enough, but that's on purpose, right? If you, if you have enough people to do everything that you're asked for, your team's too big. Like, frankly, your, your team is there has to be this idea to say, listen, there's a lot of things we're not going to do, but we're all in agreement. It's not me saying no. If ever I'm saying no, it's because it hasn't been prioritized. And when I say no, it's, well, interesting idea because there's a lot of interesting ideas, but let's get that prioritized before we start getting people involved and working on it. Because any prioritization, any decision comes at a cost. And that's just an opportunity cross of something else. And the more organizations you have, the more teams you have, all those people trying to compete for it, right? Then there's different models that organizations set up. I mean, I think the, the what I saw at Salesforce back in the day was all the cloud leaders were in competition with each other to get the FaceTime with the sales rep because they needed the sales organization to represent their product. So they were doing everything they could to try to entice their customer, right? So if you're thinking about everybody else within the business as your customer, but how do you think about the prioritization for what they care about, what's the most important for the business, and maybe what's most important for the business is not what I do, is not what my team does or not what your team does. So being able to say, let's take all the roles aside. Let's put our general manager hat. What is the most important thing we did? At times in my career, I've jumped into like product marketing roles or like when that wasn't even my role, but that's kind of what needed to happen at the time. And that's this idea around within the centralized ops function. You're at the source of truth of what's happening in the business. You have a lot of insight that not a lot of other people in the organization have. So that insight that you're afforded in ops, being that centralized element that has insight into everything, it's your responsibility. And it's not a luxury, but it is your responsibility to make sure that you take those insights and drive action across the business in accordance with whatever is the most important thing. And to be able to recognize the shiny objects that are out there, the distractions for what they are, right? Shiny objects can be really great. They can be a lot of fun, but maybe they're not the most important thing right now. 
And so it's trying to make sure that people are consistently thinking with their GM hats on versus I am the head of this group and I'm really focused on their success, but maybe that's going to come at a cost to the whole business. And so that's fundamentally what that role is. And I think it makes it exciting and it makes the opportunity for people in the ops world to take on other challenges and to continually never get bored because you're always thinking about potentially a different part of the the organization, even if you're just within, you know, and I say just within, but just within sales ops or just within marketing ops, I don't know of anybody that's ever going to get bored in any of these roles because you're just constantly building on a base of information and then taking that to the next level and next level. And I think, you know, I'm imagining you kind of jumping into all these different roles that you're mentioning or, you know, the fact that you're spending more time outside of your team than inside of your team. And what I'm hearing is like you personally and by extension, your team is almost viewed as like this, like operational center of excellence within the company to look to or to jump in and provide that objective assessment on how things are going for these other parts of the company even outside of kind of the normal day-to-day roles or projects or whatever that you all are working on, that is part of the job. Am I thinking about that right? Yeah, no, I think you're right. And I think this role has always existed, even though the concept of strategy and ops continues to evolve. And I think, you know, maybe dating back 10 years ago, this sort of thing didn't exist, but even I'm hearing more about it now through friends and, and other folks and other organizations building it out this way. And the reality is these roles existed but they were the internal consulting organization. They were usually people that had come from Bain and Monitor and McKinsey and were basically more strategic consultants for work within the business. The challenge that those teams always face is they don't have the business context around everything. They don't have that lens, those filters to apply to the business where I can lean on my marketing ops team and be like, this is the trend we're seeing. And they're like, yes, absolutely. It's because of X, Y, and Z. So those are anticipated trends and we couldn't touch them if we tried to, or we don't want to touch those things. Whereas somebody that's coming through and just seeing all the data and all the various layers, you're missing the context. And I think that's what's really important. And so that's what's so valuable is this is that internal consulting team, that consulting organization, that strategy org that people have. But the key differentiator is it has the operational excellence, the operational backbone and that insight into the business to be able to look at data, understand the context for it, and then make make the recommendations based on that full equation versus saying, okay, seems like we have too many people in this sort of role. That doesn't seem to make sense because of the numbers. Well, it does because of what we're trying to get to. And I think that's the important element. It's just, these roles existed, they just existed in, in a different flavor. And I think this is now a much more powerful and dynamic engine to deliver that same sort of recommendation, but a much more meaningful level. This episode is sponsored by Fullcast, the company that helps operators build better sales territories. Their platform focuses the right sellers on the right opportunities, making them unstoppable. And the cherry on top, Fullcast automates common go-to-market activities like territory rebalancing, account hierarchies, routing, and more. So the plan is always in sync with operations. With Fullcast, say goodbye to go-to-market planning headaches and hello to your own personal planning assistant. Learn more about Fullcast today by visiting fullcast.io. Okay, back to Noah. Before the break, Noah was explaining how he and his team spend their time. But more than that, he was laying out this inspirational model for how operators can and should approach their work. 
He views the work we all do as this meaningful responsibility to the companies we're at. And I think he's right that we have the opportunity to have an outsized impact on the organizations we serve. In my notes, I wrote down strategy plus business context equals operational center of excellence. Strategy plus business context equals operational center of excellence. That's a pretty nice charter to follow when you go to work every day. But while I wholeheartedly agree with Noah's vision, I'm also practical enough to realize that it's hard to find an army of people who fit this vision and can thrive in this type of environment. He described people who can match the business context with data and drive insights. He talked about operators who care about work that's outside of their direct responsibility and have that GM lens on a business and people who can manage through influence and not direct power. So how does he find these people? I saw a funny statistic earlier this year, which is the ops industry or ops as a role. I think this might've been a LinkedIn number, but ops as a role was one of the fastest growing roles in any business. I think it was one lever above truck driving, right? The truck bastion school, right? And so that in itself is a challenge because this role is becoming a thing and finding people to do that. And there is no school that I went to. There is no like anyone, you know, this isn't, there's no masters in this, right? There's no PhD in this stuff. This is just, you find intelligent people who are passionate about it. And those are really my two roles. When I'm interviewing folks, what's your point of view? What are you passionate about? Like, come to me with like, this is what all these other people or companies or technologies or whatever else are getting wrong. Like, I feel like there's something here. You got to just want to do this. That's just the fun thing about it. And so finding those folks, like there are people on my team that I trust wholeheartedly. I know that when they produce something, that that is quality and I don't have to dig into it. Now, to some degree, depending on the role of my team, the focus or the necessity to think well beyond that specific project or that specific team is not a mandate at any given time. But that's something that people generally might want to do. And that's something that I try to encourage the team, particularly when I'm hiring, is folks that want to continue to grow and do different things. Because I think that's the really exciting piece about it is that certainly you're going to be hired in to deliver on one piece of, of the business. And it's, can you deliver on that one piece of the business, but also take some time out to think about, okay, what are the things that are really going to move the needle? And I talk about this with my team, but I, I mentioned that, like, what are the, what are the thing? Like, fast forward at some point, not the too distant future, but some point when you're in your next interview, what are the things that you're going to talk about in that next interview that are really interesting, that are game changing? That's what you need to be thinking about because running the business, that's just table stakes, right? I can hire anybody to come here and just make sure that the business is running, but how do we do it really well? How do we take it to the next level? And for that, you got to have that curiosity. You got to have that passion and that intelligence to really want to take these things on. So from my perspective, it's very difficult to find those folks, but they're out there. And there are people on my team that have self-studied. They've taken courses on their own to become who they are today, to become folks that we want to hire on our team. And so that's what's really cool about this. If you have an interest in the business and you have some sort of not even expertise, but experience within the business and you have a passion for building and an operational mindset. And certainly I think an important element is to have a really good handle on the numbers. I spent some time in finance a while back. It was an interesting detour in my career, 
But it ultimately, and I, I've repeated this before, but it ultimately got to the point where I realized that you don't build a model to get to an answer. You start with an answer and you build a model to support it. And so when you have that context, then every time you look at a, a sheet of data or a chart or anything like that, you're constantly like, okay, how is this trying to mislead me? Because I could give the same set of data and cut it in a different way to make it look great, or I can cut it in a way to make it look bad. And the idea being is if you have that operational knowledge, that intrigue, that curiosity, and then you also can ground it with some foundational layers of really finance or data at the end of the day, data, you know, you could have a really, really successful career, but it's just something that you have to want to do. And I certainly didn't know 20 years ago that this is what I'd be doing, but it's something that I came across. And I'm, I'm certainly grateful that it's something that has evolved with business because I find it you know, the most exciting thing I could be doing. So you talked about with those people that you were looking for intelligence, you were looking for passion. And then you added in there that you're like, I'm also looking for people who have a point of view. And I think that what I've found with a lot of ops folks is whatever the name of the role was before that you were describing, a lot of times it was this support function that people gave information to, gave direction to, and then said, okay, go do it. And what I found is like, yeah, because there's no place for you to go to school for this stuff. You can go out and seek out role models. You can learn from all these different places. But that extra step of developing your own point of view, I found is just that, right? It's, it's extra and not necessarily a natural thing that happens even when you're doing a great job of seeking out role models, right? So when people ask me now, like, hey, what's advice you would give for folks that are early in their RevOps career? I say, seek out role models. But then I also say, cultivate your own point of view. And so what do you think are things that either you're doing within your team today or that people can be doing to help cultivate that point of view for operators within their own teams? That strategy piece, somebody in my career once told me like they, they shivered at any thought that they would have strategy in their title because like, <laughs> oh, like what does that even mean, right? But I think yeah. that's the key element. This role has so much foundational centralized insight from your business that if you're not extracting the insights from it, then you're just wasting, right? You're just wasting away. You're just having folks do things. But what's the way that you should do it right? So yeah, you know, you asked, how do you encourage that? So for me, there's an element that I want everybody on my team, no matter what level of role, I want them spending 20 to 30% of their time focused on things that aren't part of their day-to-day, -day, that aren't things that other people have asked for. Even if at an IC level, at an analyst or manager level, think about the things that nobody else is thinking about. There's nobody in the business that has a bigger context for whatever your role is than you, period. So it's your responsibility, like you're accountable for then, okay, what does this mean? What should we be doing differently? But it's really tough because when you're in the weeds, you know, I think the element that I liked, or at least I understood from the finance world is that you had this hierarchy of roles where you had an analyst build a model and then an associate to review it and then a VP to look, because the more people you have different eyes, it's, it's you actually able to catch issues. But also when you're in the weeds, it's really hard to come out and take a breath and look around. And I was on a couple of calls today and I was talking about like, I love offsites. I love offsites because they give a chance to like compartmentalize your day to day and just open up your mind and creativity and think about like, what's the possibility? And that's really fun. Like oftentimes I take so many notes during offsites, but rarely is it what the person, I shouldn't say this, rarely is it what the person's saying, <laughs> but it sparked ideas. 
right? It sparks ideas that I'm like, okay, then because you just free up your mind and allow it to be creative and free thought. And so my advice to all my team and the mandate, aside from making sure that you're taking time off to decompress and all that sort of stuff, is to make sure that you're finding time, carving out a full chunk of, of time, not just 30 minutes here and there, but to really like go for a walk, to start thinking about different stuff, read some stuff, get some insight that starts getting thinking about, okay, what can I be doing differently or what should we be doing more? That's the stuff that's really exciting because if you get somebody in this role that wants to be meaningful and deliver that's great. Like that is fundamental. Now you have to have the base elements there, but like that's only part of it because what about your next role? What do you want to do next? Let's make an impact because honestly, we all could be working at different companies, but whatever one we're at, let's figure out like what we can do best, how we can make the biggest impact and really enjoy ourselves. And then one day look back and be like, man, that was awesome. That's what I've always thought about. It's like 10 years from now, look back, like, did you make an impact? Are people talking about what you did back then? That's certainly possible. It's achievable. And if not, it's just kind of like you're just kind of going through the motion. So I've always felt like if you're going to come into something, having that perspective and nobody can teach it to you, it's just you got to just want to do it. And you got to have that insight and that ability to take time to focus on that stuff that's not in your day to day, because otherwise you'll never do it. Right. You know, you push it off and push it off and there's a fire drill. You got to carve that time out. That's your time. Before we go, at the end of each show, we're going to ask each guest the same lightning round of questions. Ready? Here we go. Best book you've read in the last six months? Best business book was The Jolt Effect. And I mentioned it. It's somebody did a bunch of studies on a bunch of gong calls for like a year and a half. And it was really interesting. And if you're in sales right now or marketing and you're using the same tactics you used a couple of years ago, you're probably driving your customer further away. Now, the other one that I just read that I love, which I just reread, which is, you'll know I'm dead when I stop talking. I think that's what it is. Anyways, it's about the famous producer who did like Ocean's 11 and 12. It's one of the most fantastical stories outside of his family life, which sounds like it was awful, but it was one of those elements where you couldn't write a script. People are like, that's just, that's not plausible, but it's a really enjoyable read. And you're just like, how is this possible? So those are the two that I think are the most interesting last six months. Cool. Favorite part about working in ops? Favorite part is I love working with people. I love my, I love working with my team. And I don't know if that's ops specific, but I'm a coach at heart. And so I love it. Flip side, least favorite part about working in ops? Least favorite part is fire drills, because I feel like that is a personal failure that something happened to a point where you missed it. Like I missed it. And so it's like, you know, I, I jump on the hangar nade. I, I hate contacting somebody on a weekend or late nights because I feel like it fell on my shoulders and I didn't anticipate. So fire drills, the worst thing. I like that. I've, we've definitely heard fire drills before, but not through that lens. I really like that way of looking at it. All right, someone who helped you get into the job you have today. So my first manager, at Salesforce, Mike Way, he, he had a similar background in, in banking. So he liked that aspect. And I think Salesforce was a client of ours back when I was still in finance. And it was like, hey, this is actually something that I think you'd be good at and do. And so that piece got me down the road into that role. And I'll say there's another sales manager back early in my career named Jeff, Jeff Bashaw, who said, no, you're not a sales rep. This is when I was a sales rep reporter. He's like, you're not a sales rep. 
Like I started getting into like marketing stuff. He's like, I'm not a sales rep. And so I was like, all right, we make a lot of money. It was like, and I was like, kind of like, okay, this is, you're right. I like, I want to build, I want to be that, like, I want to be in the strategy meetings. And that kind of got me thinking about that path, which was probably the early directional role. And then Mike to actually hire me into Salesforce. That's awesome. All right, last one. And you've answered this in different ways during our conversation, but I'll, I'll hit you with it one more time. One piece of advice for people who want to have your job someday. Be really curious and find your passion. This job can be so painful and so rewarding. But if you can't have that passion to keep you going through the painful parts, you're never going to get there to, to get that other aspect of it because it's, you know, despite what people say, ops is not, no, I'm just kidding. I don't know if anybody ever says it's the most exciting job, but I think it's really impactful and you can really leave a mark and build something great. But if you don't have that passion driving you, it can be really tough. You got to have that to keep you going. And particularly when times are tough or the economy's down or whatever it may be, right? It's not all glory, but it certainly is something that you got to have that flame that keeps you going. Thanks so much to Noah for joining us on this week's episode of Operations. If you liked what you heard, make sure you are subscribed to our show so you get a new episode with amazing operators like Noah in your feed every other Friday. Also, if you learned something from Noah today or from any of our guests, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, six-star reviews only. All right, that's going to do it for me. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Today's episode is sponsored by Fullcast, your go-to-market planning platform. If you've ever spent hours or days building territory and quota plans only to have them be out of date the second the reps hit the street, you need to check out Fullcast. With Fullcast, you set intelligent rule-based policies that automate all of the time-consuming manual tasks that hit RevOps teams throughout the year. With virtually no effort, operations will always seamlessly align with your plan. Learn more about Fullcast today by visiting fullcast.io.